Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Paul Wheaton. He is a permaculture expert. He has made over 177 hours of videos on full permaculture design course and appropriate technology course, as well as creating a set of permaculture playing cards. Paul has also created hundreds of podcasts, YouTube videos, and articles about permaculture. He has contributed 26,000 forum posts at permis.com and has at least that many at his other site, coderanch.com. Paul used to be a software engineer before embarking on the permaculture journey. Paul and I will be having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey, his new book, Building a Better World in Your Backyard, and how you can make a huge positive global difference from your home. Good morning, Paul. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I am very large, Johnny. Thanks for having me on your show. (laughs) Fantastic. It is wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Building a Better World in Your Backyard is a wonderfully written book. It is a treasure trove of practical ideas that can be easily implemented. I look at the book as a wonderful manual. Congratulations and thank you for sharing such insightful information. Glad you enjoyed it. I, I'm excited uh, to, to be here today because you actually read my book. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I hope you found it delicious and fun. It's really a fun book because with all the designs and so forth, the charts and everything else, I thought it was really very, very interesting because you want to make it fun, very engaging, and the book is very, very engaging. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Let's give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. And by the way, we do have the whole hour. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, Well, I I know you've got a lot of questions for me. And uh, a quick quick thing of my childhood. I bounced around a lot as a kid. I... uh, um, I, I could go into that in a lot of detail, but I don't think anybody wants to hear that. But the thing is, is that let's just say that there were some family units and I was like a, a burden. And so it was unfortunate until until my granddad took me in. And then you'll notice that my book is dedicated to my granddad for taking mm-hmm. in a broken boy. And um, uh, then everything changed. Everything became very lovely. I was very fortunate to um, have had him take me in. And I learned a lot from him. And there's a lot of what's in the book that is from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but moving moving along, uh, somewhere in my teens, I seemed to have a knack for software engineering. It was weird. I Everything just clicked and made sense for me while everybody else around me seemed to be struggling. Um, it was as easy as breathing. Uh, then as a young adult, I wrote mountains of software and I gave it away, uh, and, uh, which didn't, didn't pay big, but there were some of the times yeah. when I gave it all away and it turned into a big business. And I was like, this is fun. <laughs> uh, I developed some unusual philosophies about software engineering, which turned into a rather large website about software engineering. Um, 
And then at some point in time around 1993, I became really obsessed with gardening. I, mm-hmm. I just couldn't stop reading everything and gardening everything. I ran out of space. And um, uh, every time I moved, I moved to someplace that had a lot more gardening space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to this day, I'm still writing that obsession, only it's expanded more and more and more. Um, and in 2004, I felt like I could see a path to making a big positive global difference. So I, uh, in the world of gardening and permaculture, so mm-hmm. I quit my software engineering career to pursue this path. My whole <laughs> life, there it is, in just a minute or so. <laughs> Beautiful. That's fantastic. Can you give us a snippet about your work with the satellite system that took pictures for Google Earth and Digital Globe? I thought that's really fascinating. And of course, if all these are not proprietary information, you can share it with us about how <laughs> we can look down and, hey, that's where Johnny Tan lives. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I had a reputation in 1999 as a problem solver in the world of software mm-hmm. engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, Digital Globe was in a bit of a pickle um, because the satellite launch could not be postponed, and yet this one of their code, which was effectively what we look at today as, um, uh, like, let's call it a predecessor to Google Earth, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, it was way behind schedule. Uh, the team had six months to get it done. I was hired in the sixth month and they were only 20% of the way done. Um, and I, uh, I, I wish to, be, uh, to, to embrace a moment of arrogance and say, I got it done. Uh, once, we, once we got it done, the rest of the team was let go, and it was just me working on that project um, for the next several months until the satellite launch. Um, so now the one difference between my version of Google Earth, which was much mm-hmm. rougher than what you see today, mm-hmm. but the one big perk that mine had is is that you had a feature to task the satellite to take more pictures. <laughs> That's a feature that isn't on there anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. I understand. What's interesting is that I'm just trying to make sure that you're not the guy that causes people that drive in the middle of the night and all of a sudden ride into a lake because they got the wrong information. <laughs> No, you know my, what I'm talking about? my stuff was all about the <laughs> photography. Um, so gotcha. our spacecraft took the pictures. And mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. the thing that I wrote, the program that I wrote, the software that I wrote, was all about um, uh, uh, showing those pictures as right. like a, a, a collection of photographs and mm-hmm. also uh, being able to task the satellite to take more pictures, uh, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So mm-hmm. um, I did not develop the part that says, turn left now. <laughs> You know, no, I did, that wasn't me. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good to know. So nothing got to do with navigation. <laughs> no, I was Navigating just on a that. satellite a little bit, not too terribly much, but a little bit. Fantastic. When did you discover permaculture? I know you mentioned something about in your mid-20s and so forth, but when did you actually kind of got into it? It was 2001 that I first mm-hmm. heard the word permaculture. And mm-hmm. um, I had probably at that point read about 300 books on gardening and um, farming and things of that nature. And I had somehow mm-hmm. missed the word permaculture. 
And so at that point in time, I had 80 acres, and I was just obsessed with my experiments. I called it a full farm ecosystem where systems feed systems feed systems. Mm-hmm. And so I had all these experiments happening simultaneously. And then a neighbor came by, and uh, I was describing for him my experiments that I was doing. And he said, oh, that's permaculture. So then uh, he had the the uh, permaculture designer's manual, and he loaned mm-hmm. it to me. And uh, I'm pouring through this book, finding out that um, – uh, a big portion of the experiments that I had been trying have already been done. <laughs> and mm-hmm, I'm not mm-hmm. an inventor. <laughs> I'm a wannabe. And so, uh, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that was mentioned in the book that I had never considered. And mm-hmm. so I immediately became obsessed with permaculture. I bought all the books and videos. And then there was this one particular collection of VHS tapes that I watched over 25 times. Um, Mm. And that became the foundation for everything that I do since. And that was um, videos about uh, Sepp Holzer's work over in Austria. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So very Mm -hmm. cold climate um, and the kind of uh, 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 permaculture systems that he does there, I just found to be Mm -hmm. like very aligned with what I was pursuing. Fantastic, that sounds wonderful. At what point did you experience a life epiphany that led you to be so passionate? I know you mentioned a little bit about how you got into it and so forth, and obviously you were getting into the road where this is your life. So was there a trigger point that got you really going? I, I'm i going to say that for, for permaculture, I mean, there was something to be said about that point where Mm -hmm. I'm hearing the word for the first time and then I'm studying Mm -hmm. this whole new branch. But I'm going to say that for many permaculture enthusiasts, there's a point, and when I've talked to certain people about this, they agree. And I call it the big click, where there's just this this moment when you realize you've been doing it all backwards. Like you've learned all these little (laughs) bits about permaculture. And then instantly, you know, in a sudden moment... Mm -hmm. Um, a bunch of these little thoughts in your head all fall into place and click together and this brand new golden path shows up and you realize you've been doing it wrong all Mm -hmm. along and it's kind of like I think a way to kind of describe it is like uh, I I like to use the example of the Colorado potato beetle so you'll have Mm -hmm. all these potatoes growing and then um, the Colorado potato beetle will show up. And if you don't do something, then they'll wipe out all your potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, so before the click, the idea was to get rid of the Colorado potato beetle. Mm-hmm. After the click, you realize the Colorado potato beetle is, a, is an, uh, uh, an agent of nature right. doing its job, doing what nature has commanded. Mm-hmm. And... Therefore, you need to work with the Colorado potato beetle. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, how, how are we supposed to do that? And, and, and it's like after the big click, it's obvious. You've designed mm-hmm. your system poorly. Mm-hmm. And so what have you designed to, that's poor such that if you had a good system, you wouldn't have any Colorado potato beetle? Nature mm-hmm. is here to take that plant out because you've done a poor job caring for that plant. Mm-hmm. And so... What have you done that's poor? Whereas before the big click, you're just thinking like, 
I'm going to rescue this plant. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to, and and then this is a problem for me now, I'm going to kill every last Colorado cable. I'm going to reach down there with my hand and smash right, them right. or whatever. And it's right. like uh, um, now it's all different. It's, about, it's more about romancing nature. Right. And then together you're going to make great beauty opposed to die, 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 right. die. Right, right. And I agree with that. I love the way you put it all together because we are living and will always live in a very close culture. You cannot create order without creating disorder somewhere else. And then if there's disorder somewhere else, it eventually, that ripple effect will cause order somewhere else. And people don't seem to realize that. I I like to think of it more as if I mean when I see a, most gardens today, or even mm-hmm. my gardens before the big click, mm-hmm. then in hindsight it looks like I am trying to force Mother Nature to my will. Right. You know, it, my boot is on her throat. I am making <laughs> Mother Nature my personal bitch, and mm-hmm. it's like. Now I feel like what I'm trying to do is enter into a romantic relationship with nature. How can I, how can I please nature so much that perhaps she will in return please me? And, and together we'll mm-hmm. make this fabulous thing. And, and then it's kind of like, uh, uh, how do I make a big jungle of weeds <laughs> where all of the weeds are the things that I'd like to see right. are all of my food plants and all the plants of beauty, all of the things that are great, as opposed to like trying to force this certain kind of weird order on nature. Right. Right. And then perform, damn it. You know, <laughs> I, so how do I make a, how do I get a jungle to grow in the desert? Right. That doesn't need irrigation or fertilization because I'm, I'm romancing nature. I have, Right. I have somehow nudged things in such a way that the jungle with the food jungle naturally forms in the mm-hmm. desert as opposed mm-hmm. to forcing it to happen. Beautiful. So what is the inspiration for writing Building a Better Wool in Your Backyard? I, I think the inspiration comes from so many movies and mm-hmm. articles and, and everything, all of media. And then when it comes to they're they're saying like like for example one of the best known and earliest was Al Gore's movie An Inconvenient Truth and he mm-hmm. he shows this whole movie like basically painting a picture of like see how screwed we are we're we're so screwed okay okay mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. last couple of minutes of the movie he says here's things that you could do at home check your tire pressure. Right. And and I'm kind of like I I want to yell at the screen like dude that hardly does anything at all there's bigger things here. So he lists <laughs> off like a, a dozen things that you can do at home and they are all super weak. Um and and then um I'm trying to like put together the better information and get it out there but it only mm-hmm. goes so far. I and I don't seem to have gotten the traction. Well, but of course you know, the the book was long overdue. I, I mm-hmm. really needed to get this book out there because I think a book really helps to uh, uh, 
put everything together in a small package. And I think that my right. book is a very tiny book. It's a small little book. It's so easy to read. <laughs> um, but it's, we, we worked hard to pack it full of like mm-hmm. very serious things that could change it. And there, and that we also focused hard on how to, how everything in the book needs to add more luxury to your life and right. or money to your uh, pocket. Um mm-hmm. Because I kind of feel like if just this, these little tidbits of information can get out, then, then more people will do it, and it'll, it'll develop a life of its own. And people mm-hmm. will be doing these things, and they don't know where it came from. It came from mm-hmm. a friend, from a friend, from a friend, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. which came all the way back to the book. And it's right. like, great, the change is happening. And the motivator is not to save the world. The motivator is to get more money in your pocket or add more luxury to your life. And I think that, you know, so this, that's been the focus of the book. That's what we're trying to uh, accomplish. But the inspiration came from like how you keep hearing this information and it just always struck me as like so inadequate. And so clearly right. the, the more substantial information seems to not be out Right, right, right. Well, what I gather in reading the book is the fact that you have consolidated everything, organized it for us, make it real easy. And like you say, it walks us through fairly easy and very well organized. If I'm interested in permaculture, if I go out there and Google it, I get bits and pieces. And then you find that you're like building a house in the middle of pouring the foundation and you try to figure out how to form the structure and yet you're missing pieces here and there, and it takes a longer time. And then along the way, of course, you lose the enthusiasm. But your book, it's a complete package. It's a beautiful kit. So that makes a beautiful presentation for someone who is really, you got this manual, go do it. And that's what I really like about the book. Please share with us about your co-author, Sean Klassen Um One of the things that Sean and I did is, is when we were first putting this together, <laughs> We were kind of thinking that, oh, wow, this is going to be a 47-volume set with like a 1,000 pages <laughs> per volume for all of the information. And right. we've got to get it down into a tiny book. How are we going to do this? Um, but, but basically, um, for all the information that I talk about in the book, I've been conveying it for over a decade in my podcast. Mm-hmm. And so Sean was listening to my podcast. And... Uh, I said in a podcast, I wish I had somebody to help me massage a bunch of this stuff into a book because I've already mm-hmm. written it all up as a bunch of articles. All we really need to do is kind of right. glue it together and pour some book sauce on it and then push <laughs> it out. And so Sean contacted me and said, I'll help you with that. And then so we kind of got to the point where we could do that. Mm-hmm. And then we had a long, heartfelt conversation about should we polish this further and by mm-hmm. polish, you know, condense it further and, mm-hmm. and make it even better? Can we, can we condense it and, and improve the quality and it'll take a lot more, it'll take 10 times more time uh, than what we originally planned for, but we'll have something, whereas the first plan was is something that could easily be consumed by thousands of people and we thought if we really polish it and we do a really good job and we really take our time and seek excellence, it could be something that could reach 100 million people and mm-hmm. affect real change. So, so Johnny, 
here's here's a critical moment. I want you have read the book. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you if a hundred million people read the book, do you believe most of our global problems would disappear? I believe so. What's interesting about it is that it's common sense, right? And you can just do oh, a yeah. little bit of the things. You don't have to do everything. To visually answer your question, how about this? You take a handful of marbles and you throw it into still water, right? And each of them uh-huh. produces that ripple effect. And collectively, that ripple effect actually reaches the shoreline, for like a better term. I do. I think it's kind of like uh, you told me that you watched my keynote presentation in the church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is on YouTube. And so mm-hmm. one of the things is, is that uh, it's called 72 Bricks for Building a Better World. And, mm-hmm. um, and so one of the bricks I presented was uh, make a pile of rocks for slug control. And That's somebody correct. in the mm-hmm. audience uh, <laughs> kind of, kind of was like, this is too much. This guy is nuts. <laughs> this is, I, uh, uh, I believe, I believe the words used were using the full beauty of the English language, which uh, <laughs> might not go over well in the format we're talking about today. But a member of, and there was a, there's like 200 some odd people in the audience. Yeah. So somebody yeah. in the audience kind of in this quiet moment kind of said, yeah. you know, what uh-huh. the, and it's like i feel like everything in the book is like that it Uh makes no sense a stack of rocks does not control slugs yeah yeah until i point out the thing the little the little piece that's missing precisely then it's obvious and so Mm -hmm. your listeners right now are thinking like yeah there's no way a stack of rocks is going to do anything (laughs) about slugs snake habitat it's snake right. habitat. And so then, right. so then you get a garter snake living in there, and mysteriously you have far fewer slugs. Right. But right. It's, I feel like permaculture is a thousand little things like that. Mm-hmm. It's a thousand mm-hmm. little tidbits. When all added together, you're embracing nature. You're romancing nature. You made the stack of rocks that wasn't there before. Right. And now right. you have less slug problems. You have fewer slugs eating your gardens. Mm-hmm. You let nature take its course. And... This is interesting, though, Paul, because I grew up in Malaysia up to the age of 18. And so Mm -hmm. I'm very well attuned towards how you use nature to help you, if that makes sense, because you don't have all this technology kind of stuff. You're talking about the garden snake and the slug. How about this? We have rice fields, right? So guess Mm -hmm. what? You have all the birds and so forth that wants to eat the rice. Well, that's why, I mean, not necessarily right now, but back in the old days, you don't go simply walk into the rice fields because they have snakes in the rice fields. We're not talking about cobras here. Okay? <laughs> We're talking about pythons because they are the ones that eat those rodents and so forth. Okay. Right. Now, the flip side of the equation, the same thing. So you are using nature's way of sort of taking care of itself. And we're part of the whole process, so to speak. So I totally agree with what you said. And reading the book and understanding how you use nature, I remember growing up, the coconut tree is the most utilized tree in the whole of Asia, at least certainly in Southeast Asia. The entire tree is never wasted because from its leaves, that's what they used to weave on each other, and they were roofs. And it kept the water away. The trunks are used as bridges. 
Of course, not to mention when the leaves gets old, they take it down and they use the spine of the leaves. They gather all together and they use it as a broom to sweep. And then you talk right. about the coconut itself, the hus itself. They use it to smoke away mosquitoes at night and they use it as a mm-hmm. fire starter. The shell of the coconut is cut in a groove properly into spoons. And of course, the meat to eat and then the juice to drink and so forth. So it's amazing. But how many of us really think that way? We just chop down the tree and that's it. All we want is the <laughs> the coconut. That's it. I, I think that uh, you're making good use of that tree. Um, I, I I do think that you're singing my song there when, when you're talking about <laughs> uh, working with nature so mm-hmm. that nature works for you. That's um, right. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yes. I, I yeah. really, I really like that direction. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, I, I kind of wonder if you follow the path you just laid, does the path stop there or does the path continue on? And is there even more? Is there like a hundred times more than that? How to develop a symbiotic relationship with mm-hmm. a collection mm-hmm. of coconut trees? I mean, in, in permaculture, we talk about the concept of the food forest. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's such mm-hmm. a rich diversity of everything. Are you familiar with uh, the work of Willie Smith? Uh, no, I'm not, but go ahead. He's, he's in Borneo, mm-hmm. and um, he's using permaculture techniques to bring back rain. So there's areas that mm-hmm. have been mm-hmm. desertified, and mm-hmm. then um, he's growing certain kinds of trees in certain ways, in basically food forest kind of ways. Right. Uh, on the millions of acre kind of scale, and he's bringing back rain that has left the area. So it's like, you know, the rain just stopped coming. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and, and so he's believing it's because of the deforestation that happened. And so then he's reforesting. And mm-hmm. on top of that, he's introducing um, economies to thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of people. So I wrote about this thing in my book about how do you do permaculture on 20,000 acres? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the chapter of the book is called replacing petroleum with people. Yeah. And I passed a copy on to Willie Smith's and he wrote back to say, this chapter is what I do. And uh, <laughs> I felt like, cause I think Willie Smith's is like one of the biggest superheroes in the world right now um, and accomplishing such amazing things. And for him to say that, I thought, so I put it at the top of the book or at the top of that chapter Right. Uh, the quote from mm-hmm. Willie Smith about, this is what I do. It's like, right <laughs> on. <laughs> well, if we open our eyes, and that's what you're doing, you're opening our eyes to something that we're not aware of. That's what I'm looking at. Because I think we're so used to just as is, we're not asking ourselves, we lack the curiosity factor. We just presume everything is here. It's sort of a given thing. And that's the difference, I think, in terms of what your book makes in terms of opening eyes. If you really read it and kind of open your eyes to things and you say, hmm, this is something very interesting. This is something that it's not only educational, but you can go back and forth in terms of like, how do you make the simplicity of life to fit in the 21st century? It can be done. I love from that perspective. The number one thing that you can do Mm -hmm. if you live in a cold climate to reduce your carbon footprint Mm-hmm. is do something about how you heat your, your home, how you heat yourself during the wintertime in, in your cold climate. I mean, a lot of people, when we say, how do you improve your carbon footprint, um, most of the conversation seems to be about light bulbs 
and right. about right. Um, you know sacrifice, you know colder right. showers and and stop and find ways to drive less and then buy a Tesla and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like um, uh, our carbon footprint for each individual is 30 tons per year. And mm-hmm. uh, if you were to buy a Tesla, that would cut two tons per year. But if you live in a cold climate and you switch from electric heat to a rocket mass heater, that mm-hmm. reduces your carbon footprint by 27 tons. So on the other hand, I think hardly anybody has ever heard of a rocket mass heater. And uh, further, in the book, I give three different ways to make dramatic cuts to your heating bill. Um, Because I think most people, when it's like, okay, let's talk about your heat and how to reduce your heating costs. Mm -hmm. And um, almost everybody universally says the only thing that you can do is turn down your thermostat and sacrifice and right. so I believe all three of the solutions I give are like how to be even warmer while reducing your heating bill at least 90%. I think mm-hmm. everything I proposed has at least a 90% cut in your heating bill while simultaneously making you warmer. Um, so, and it's just, a, it's just little tidbits of knowledge is, is mm-hmm. what the big difference is. Mm-hmm. And, and so light bulb, the light bulb thing is silly. It's, it's tiny, it's trivial, and on top of that, the information you've been given is twisted so somebody can make a bigger profit. It's like the most mm-hmm. perfect example of the, of the brilliance of greenwashing. I mean, look, look what they've done with it. They have made themselves crazy money mm-hmm. by spinning, and, and, it's like, and they've spun it so thoroughly and so much, it's it's like the clarion call when somebody says <laughs> um, anything about like carbon footprint, this chorus of millions talks about light bulbs. And it's like, oh, man, we're in a pickle now. <laughs> really? You think light bulbs are going to be? No, no, that's not it. It's, it's going to that's a distraction. No, that's that's making somebody a lot of money. It's, it's not that doesn't solve anything. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like, it's become so powerful that when the conversation begins about trying to present the real solutions, it's like the the presenter is, is not allowed to present the real solutions because the crowd starts singing the light bulb song. Mm -hmm. It's, Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. It's it's frustrating. Now, now there's a reason to write this book. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Paul Wheaton. Paul is a permaculture expert. He has made over 177 hours of videos on full permaculture design course and appropriate technology course, as well as creating a set of permaculture playing cards. Paul has also created hundreds of podcasts, YouTube videos, and articles about permaculture. He has contributed 26,000 forum posts at permis.com and has at least that many at his other site, CodeRanch.com. Paul used to be a software engineer before embarking on 
the permaculture journey. We're having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey, his new book, Building a Better World in Your Backyard, and how you can make a huge positive global difference from your home. Paul, can someone really do everything in your book? I think someone could. Mm -hmm. I think I think that if a person simply reads the book mm -hmm. and does nothing out of the book, that that's, that that's a 90% solution. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we could just get the conversation to move in a direction other than the light bulb direction, then yeah. um, that's 90% that's of it right there. Mm -hmm. um, so I, and then at the same time, once you've read the book and then you kind of think to yourself, Wow. Um, I mean, I would say I would say that the best people to read the book are people that are like 17, 18, 19. Mm -hmm. And the reason mm -hmm. is, is that they're about to go into a world mm -hmm. where that extra $40 a month on energy is of tremendous value. That is a big $40. Whereas right. when when you are 50, that $40 is a lot smaller. <laughs> right, right. And so it's like, okay, so a dollar motivator. I've, I have seen things on the internet where somebody said like, hi, I'm 20 years old and I'm going to college and I am so broke and I need to save right. some money. And, um, you know, what can I do about this? And then the solutions are, are the, the, the suggestions are just weak, so weak. And yeah. I, I wish... So if somebody just reads the book and understands this stuff. Now, can, every, can somebody do all of the things? Um, yes, somebody could. I, I think it would probably be uh, more of an exception. So, for example, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. half the book is for people that live in apartments. Mm -hmm. And then the other half does start to explore the backyard or a large backyard or even acreage. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that some people are going to say, well, going to read the book then because I don't have a backyard. Right. And I kind of feel like I want to ask those people, do you know what a nuclear reactor is? And they say, <laughs> well, of course I know what a nuclear. Well, do you own one? You, you took a moment to learn what a nuclear reactor is, but you don't own yeah. one. Right. And I kind of feel like the stuff in the second half of the book is like that. I, I wish for those people living in apartments to read this and understand it it could influence some of their future decisions about mm -hmm. whether or not to, to get a yard, to get a garden, to get a, a backyard uh, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or at least they can talk about this instead of the light bulbs mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. when trying, because it seems like people find themselves in an opportunity to have a conversation about like, well, well what do you mm -hmm. think we should do? And mm -hmm. I hope that rather than saying something about light bulbs, they might say something about, I'm going to throw out an example here, which as mm -hmm. with everything in the book sounds crazy until you get the backstory. Yeah. Maybe they're going to say like, for the last month, I have gone pooless. Mm -hmm. And then the other person says, well, that sounds like you're going to gain a lot of weight. <laughs> that's, that's my joke. That's, I just have a joke, but okay. No, if the the poolist thing is I love to go when I'm speaking in front of an audience and a you know, mm -hmm. huge audience. I love to ask this question: How many people here are currently poolist? 
And usually about a third of the people raise their hand. I'll bet you that <laughs> a quarter to a third of the people listening to this right now are like, well, yeah, I've been doing that for a year now. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like that's usually about 95% of the people are people try this path, mm-hmm. and it's not using soap or shampoo in the shower. Mm-hmm. You take just mm-hmm. as many showers. It just turns out that 99% of your body funk is entirely mm-hmm. water-soluble. And mm-hmm. the bizarre mm-hmm. thing is, is that if you let nature run its course on your skin, mm-hmm. you end up stinking less. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's like, because uh, your first thought is like, well, then I'm going to stink. I don't want to stink. <laughs> <laughs> the, the gender that I like won't like me anymore. And that's a big deal. <laughs> and so it's, it's, so I think, and, and on top of all of this, yeah. Not only do most people report having more luxuriant hair and better skin and all yeah. of these things, such massive improvements, but mm-hmm. I had one person write to me to say that um, they had migraines all day, every day for 20 years, and then they went down this path, and in three days the migraines were gone after 20 years of daily suffering. It's gone. And they were... And they were suffering so much that it, at least once a week they would either black out or vomit mm-hmm. mm. from these migraines. And suddenly they are gone, a rebirth of life. And it all had to do with the shampoo or soap that they were using in the shower. Right. So they right. just eliminated that. Um, the function of soap is mm-hmm. to make uh, oils and greases water-soluble. But it mm-hmm. turns out that all the soap comes with an artificial oil in it. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. cause if you used just direct real soap, you would, you, you mean, I'm sure you've used a soap before where you ended up feeling like really dry and crispy in the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a- and mm-hmm. then that's because the other soaps have moisturizers in them, which is right. oils. So mm-hmm. it replaces your natural oil with an artificial oil. And, um, that's, but it's marketing. It's all marketing. It's all Mm -hmm. for the sake of somebody out there to make a buck. So you (laughs) eliminate the soap and shampoo from the soil or from your shower. Mm -hmm. You're buying less stuff. You stop rubbing toxic gick on yourself. And now, while the typical American shower is eight minutes long, Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly it's a minute and a half. There's a lot less to do in there. So now hot water is one of the big expenses for, for modern living. It's That's a big right. energy mm-hmm. pig. And the number one place where that energy gets used is in the shower. Mm-hmm. And so if you've just eliminated 80% of that, and mm-hmm. now instead of trying to take a shorter shower to use less hot water and cut back on the energy bill, take a longer shower. I mean, mm-hmm. go to two minutes. <laughs> you, I, I promise you'll be bored. <laughs> you'll be super bored. Or here's another one. You can sleep in an extra five minutes in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you okay. go. That's I'm sorry. Cool. I went down this road probably a little too far. No, I thought that's beautiful because the biggest challenge for me personally from the standpoint, of, okay, right, I'm this conscientious guy. I want to do things right. I'm eating food from Whole Foods and Sprouts and so forth, which is about three quarters of miles away from where I live. But you know what? It costs money. So you talk mm, about yeah. the concept of like not knowing anything, right? Well, Tesla is not a cheap car. You buy a hybrid is not a cheap car. And then you start calculating and you're talking about 
what you call it, petroleum footprint and so forth. So you start right there. Okay, I have to pay $5,000 more to get a hybrid. Well, if I don't drive that much, in the end, it costs me more when I can just buy a petroleum car. I, I think a big part of the book mm-hmm. is, is my is – it, it was hard to paint this picture, which is where I think you're going – Mm-hmm. And and I think that a lot of people, it's something that isn't embraced quickly, but it's kind of like mm-hmm. uh, there's a person who the average car is 12,000 miles per year. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, but I still got to get to work and I still got to go do all my errands and I still got to mm-hmm. go visit Aunt Martha once a year. And I got to, mm-hmm. you know, so I've got, I'm kind of locked into the 12,000 miles thing. Right. And the thing I'm advocating is, is like, what can I do to make it so your life is so luxuriant and so right. magnificent? And, and that can I, can I orchestrate something for you mm-hmm. so that you have a beautiful, comfortable, luxuriant car sitting there waiting to take you wherever <laughs> you want to go, but where you are, Life is so magnificent, you just don't feel like getting in the car very often. Mm-hmm. So it's not about sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's about how do I get you to the point that you're not wanting to drive the car anymore? So throughout the book, I, I, I try to give several points to get you there. Mm-hmm. One of them is how can I get you to retire 15 years earlier? Because mm-hmm. when you're retired, now you don't have to drive to your job every day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but, you know, a lot of people are like, well, well, what would I do? And it's like, <laughs> okay, I, let, me, let me help to fill that too. Let me, let me add something glorious and magnificent and some substance to your life that you really mm-hmm. enjoy far more than the the worky job, and so um, I think we take a lot of steps in the book. So that's I believe that's where you were kind of going to is like, yes. can mm-hmm. I improve your life through the power of the English language to mm-hmm. the point that you retire early and your car becomes idle? So you could have this huge mm-hmm. car. That's like the world's most gas-guzzling, gas-guzzler car. Right, right. And in the end, your, your petroleum footprint is, uh, or your carbon footprint is just a tiny speck compared to a Tesla because you're so happy with where you're at, you don't feel like jumping in there and driving anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. That's the whole idea. I brought it up in the sense that because I want people to understand, well, you got a series of things that you're doing every day because that's living, right? You cannot do everything, but you can do something. And it's a chain reaction that everything will fall in together. But if you're mindful enough, and if you start with something small, that triggers to what we talk about, that ripple effect. I, I think that it's like these are a lot of things to help you get to that big mm-hmm. click moment. Yes, that we talked yes. about earlier. Mm-hmm. And I don't mention mm-hmm. the big click moment in the book anywhere, but I kind of feel like if a person 
picks up like on a dozen mm-hmm. things out of here, not because they want to save the earth, but mm-hmm. because it's like they're going to add luxury to their life and or put coin in their pocket that they get to a point where they've done enough of these things and they've added enough of these things mm-hmm. to their day-to-day living that they start adding more and more and more. And then at some point they encounter their own big click. Right. And, and right. then they enter into this, this life of beauty and um, every day is glorious and joyful mm-hmm. as opposed to being perpetually stressed about what is the government going to do now? And Precisely. Um, the bad guys are screwing everything up and, and stuff like that. How do you, how do you have a beautiful, luxuriant life that, you know, and just walk into it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that your book talk about is beyond recycling. Can you elaborate more about that? The reason why is because I live in Dallas, right? And one part okay. of town, when I used to live, who gives a hood? You throw everything in one bin. <laughs> Right. Right. And then I'm in the area of Dallas now that not necessarily from a mandate standpoint, but it gives us the opportunity to separate everything. Wow, it's beautiful. Cardboards, plastics and the rest of the stuff, so to speak. So what happens here is that whether I like it or not, say I'm someone that, oh, yeah, great, fantastic. Now I can be conscious about it. And then on the other hand, if I'm one of those guys, holy cow. Now I got to do what I got to do because it's against the law, for lack of a better term, right? So your book mm-hmm. talk about beyond recycling. Some people never even started out <laughs> recycling. Right. Right. And um, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff about uh, the, there's a movement called zero waste. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it is a, a noble path. Um, and there's been a, the thing I like is there's been a lot of recent activity. It's like, it's it's better that a million people do a poor job than for one person, you, doing a perfect job. And I, I agree with that entirely. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, but what I'm trying to do is introduce the idea of like, you know, if you seek out to do something better and right. be better at it, um, then, it's, then, if, then it's like maybe there's, maybe there's a gamification to it. Mm-hmm. And it's like let's let's assign points to things, but the thing is, is until you master level one, you, it's difficult to contemplate level two. Mm-hmm. But I know that in some areas, then there's a there's the black bin, the blue bin, and the green bin. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I don't know if it's that way in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the black bin is the garbage, the blue bin is the recycling, right. and the green bin is like compostables. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I actually say that, uh, like, I, I believe I say there's four points for what goes in the black bin, one point for what goes in the blue bin, and one point that goes into the green bin. And mm-hmm. then it's like, now everybody race for the lowest score. And it's like, well, well why? What's, what's your motivation? I mean, everything in the book is about luxury or saving money. Well, my right. thing is for a lot of places, they have, like, uh, your your bins are still picked up but if your bins mm-hmm. are there's the bigger bins and then there's the smaller bins which cost less right so it would be a money savings um mm-hmm. but it's kind of like all right so what what does it take to to get the money <laughs> savings right and um and and how can we make a more luxuriant life that ends up with you scoring well on this little game 
And uh, the number one thing is food. I mean, if you look at the stuff that gets thrown into the garbage, oh, I, I mean, agree. what percentage yeah. of it is related to food? And, right. and I think one of the examples I give is the pizza box. And mm -hmm. it's like, um, I think a lot of people start off by saying, don't order out pizza anymore. And I kind of feel like <laughs> that's one of life's most luxuriant moments is when somebody <laughs> brings a pizza to your door. And it's like, so I, I don't want anybody to give up uh, uh, no sacrifice. This is no sacrifice. That's right. That's the whole idea. So, yeah. So get that pizza. Now the next question is, is can I paint a life that's so magnificent that you travel a path that's even better than having pizza delivered. And now this gets into a very complicated space of community. And mm -hmm. it's like, mm -hmm. what if, because the problem is, is how do you get to live under one roof without stabbing each other? And it's, <laughs> and, and it's like, because we've all been there. Boy, things were kind of you know, drama. Wow. And and it's like, I you know, I don't want that drama. And so I'm going to say I have not solved that problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also want to say I'm working on it. <laughs> but really what we want, I mean, the, the there's reasons why we experienced that drama. We yeah. thought we're going to save. I mean, the cost of living is half. Well, it turns mm -hmm. out your footprint across the board for all of the world's problems also become about half when you live in community. So there's mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. whole long list of reasons. And imagine being able to live with people that are amazing and super cool and awesome, not mm -hmm. those drama queens of your, of your past. <laughs> so, so what would that be like? And then what if there were some people that were like, you couldn't stop them from cooking? Right, they just right. love to cook all the time. And, and what feeds them is somebody saying, this is damn good pizza. This, I think this is the best <laughs> pizza I've ever eaten. It's so good. I think you should be paid more like that. <laughs> and so um, they want, they crave that, and you crave the pizza. What if this mm -hmm. is happening? Right, now how right. many pizzas do you have delivered when you have mm -hmm. even better pizza that just shows up before you even knew you wanted pizza? <laughs> All right. Very I'm, I, I want reemphasize, haven't solved the problem yet, the drama thing, <laughs> but really it's about grabbing hold of that knob that says drama and turning mm -hmm. it from a nine down to a one. And I'm working on it. I'm working. I think I I've made some progress, but it's going to be a while still, but that's going to be right. my, perhaps my next book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might want to talk to Willis Smith because since he's in Borneo, in northern Borneo, people are living in longhouses. That's what they call it, where you do have mm -hmm. families in community living, so to speak, from that standpoint of view. <laughs> and some are better than others. That's right. That's right. So true. Yeah. What is the most significant obstacle you think holding people back from embracing your solution? Of knowledge of it. That's it. I agree. I have to say out. that. Totally. totally. So you, Johnny Tan, you are yeah. solving the world's problems today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But somebody's got to put it all together, and you did it beautifully. So that's fantastic. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? Um, 
if they go to permies.com slash BWB, then I've got the book there and I'm trying to sell it, sell the book very cheaply by the dozen. Mm -hmm. So the idea being is that you've now got a dozen books. You can give away 11 copies. You might keep one for yourself, but in the front of the book, it's got a place where you could write your name and then pass it on. Um, and uh, there's a there's a part of the document is to describe like all the places where you might you know give away the book and things of that nature. Um, mm -hmm. I I I I kind of feel like this is this is the way is is I make the book crazy 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 cheap, <laughs> and then hopefully people will buy it by the dozen. But you can also buy it around the world on you know uh, Amazon and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and my co-author is in charge of all of that. And I'm mm -hmm. in charge of the, uh, selling them by the dozen at my website. Wonderful. I have to tell everyone that this book is beautifully put together. It's a fun book. I think that's the most important thing because a lot of times when we talk about conscious living, green living and so forth, it's boring. I'm sorry to say that, but it's like heavy. You know what I'm talking about? And your book is so much fun. It's got plenty of illustrations after talking to you right now, to be honest with you, Paul, I've not talked to your co-author. This book represents you. You're a fun, jovial guy, facts and information, and you make things light. I hope that makes sense. I, I think it sounds great. I think I need to hire you as my PR guy. <laughs> <laughs> it is, because a lot of times when you talk about books like this, it's like, oh, my God. I mean, I'm sure the facts are fantastic, but then it's kind of like heavy. This book is fun to read. It's got all the pictures. It's not boring. It's very interesting. It's a page turner. If nothing else, you want to turn to the next page and wonder what artwork they have in there. <laughs> a lot of those books, uh, I think, are kind of focused on what you're going to sacrifice and mm -hmm. who to be angry at. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I, and I did, it does seem like it's a soul drain. It's heavy on the soul. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture to, like, no, let's let's not do that. Let's let's go to happy space. Let's go mm -hmm. to happy town. This mm -hmm. is good stuff. This is this is going to make everything happier. It's Precisely. all it's all it's all loveliness, hearts, flowers, and rainbows from here. So true. What's next for you? I have a Kickstarter going right now. It has like mm -hmm. uh, three days left. <laughs> it's doing <laughs> great. I'm Fantastic. so happy. So we've got experiments that we do at my property to try to save the world. Um, mm -hmm. Today we're focusing on uh, a form of housing with a greenhouse. You know, can mm -hmm. we basically use uh, annualized thermal inertia on a larger scale so that way we can have a greenhouse which is famous for needing heat mm -hmm. and have a greenhouse that does not need heat. So it's like a greenhouse usually freezes everything uh, at night and everything dies and then during the day it bakes everything so it dies and it's <laughs> kind of like it's it requires an enormous amount of human discipline and machinery to make mm -hmm. it uh work out okay so we've got something a design for something truly passive and that's the kickstarter but we have more books coming uh we have more movies coming we have uh lots happening all day every day all the time I mean, I get the impression you've been out to permies.com, which is a mm -hmm. massive community of, of millions of people. 
mm-hmm. and we're talking about all these little details every day. So we're getting better all the time. Fantastic. As we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Live large. Of course, I'm a giant. I'm six and a half feet tall. Um, so it's, it makes so I'm doing it, you know. <laughs> but no, I, I think live live large. Go out and live live large. Enjoy life. Drink deeply. Every person has a great value to the environment. I've I've met people who have said that the best thing a person could do for the environment is to die, and mm-hmm. I don't agree. I think we can all develop a romantic relationship with nature and our being here does more good for humanity and the rest of the planet than our not being here. Fantastic. It's beautiful. Paul, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me. I'm from my mama's kitchen talk radio to all our listeners. Please join me next Tuesday morning, July 28th. My guest will be Sandra Shaw Homer. A self-described naturalist, Sandra has lived in Costa Rica for 29 years, where she has taught languages and worked as a translator. Sandra Shaw Homer will be joining us from Costa Rica, and we'll be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey, her connection with nature, how important it is to take care of our environment, and her recently released memoir, Evelio's Garden. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Paul, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Bye-bye.